Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Russ K5TUX, and I'm bringing you into the latest episode of Linux in the Ham Shack, which is number 119. And with me, as always, is the co-host with the most from just outside Montreal, Canada. It's Pete VE2XPL. Good evening, Pete. How are you? Good evening. I'm great, and I'm losing you because my headphones are freaking out, so... uh uh, carry it. <laughs> while I try to fix this. Didn't you oh, have that problem? Stopped. I thought I couldn't hear you. No, the it's still there, but it's going away quickly. Did you not have problems with your headphones last time? I think you did. I did, and I fixed them, and thus I'm having problems again. Of course you are. It's just um, you know, the, these hair-like wires that you try to splice together, and I basically just kind of crapped them together, anyways. And they're the really small, microscopic ones that have that kind of film on it on the outside that insulator that you have to burn off you know when you're a really good technician you use your bic lighter and uh, your your black tape right so uh yeah problems <laughs> <laughs> all right well anyway uh welcome to the latest episode of linux in the ham shack and uh i think we're we're about ready to dive in and uh, get right to it, since that's been our MO for the last couple of episodes anyway, to try and keep everybody interested and not getting bored with our talk about uh, L1011s and applesauce. And L1011s are awesome, and so is applesauce. Come I know. They're, it's both awesome. And if you were here listening to the live show before we actually started recording, then you would know what that was all about. But guess what? You don't. Or if you were here, you do. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we've got some topics, and um, most of these actually came from Pete here for the for the first segment. Anyway, I've I've got my contribution in towards the middle of the show where it usually winds up. So um, yeah, save the best for last. Well, or save the best for the middle or something. Middle <laughs> <laughs> in the content. <laughs> uh, I'm actually kind of interested in this first article that you found because um, I've. We've talked a little bit about Conky in the past, and one of the things about Conky that kind of sucks is that its configuration language is a language unto itself. It's sort of unlike any other language that is used. It's it's not it doesn't use a standard sort of text file where it's broken into segments or is human readable or anything like that. It has its own stylistics when it comes to configuring it. Which is too bad in a way because Conky does some very cool things if you actually understand how to program it properly. And some people have written templates which you can load into your particular desktop to have Conky look a certain way. And if you like that sort of thing, that's great. But if you want to get your hands dirty and get in there and, you know, make it look exactly like you want to make it look, you actually have to learn the configuration syntax. Well, apparently there's a website that will show you how to do it. There is. There's a website that will learn y'all. Um, I found this quite by accident. Uh, it's uh, called the xmodulo.com, X-M-O-D-U-L-O.com. And uh, it's basically um, a blog that has a whole bunch of articles 
anything from how to configure an IP address on a Raspberry Pi, some of the other things I saw, uh, how to configure your Raspberry Pi for the first time, uh, what things to do after installing Ubuntu 13.10, if you choose to do that, uh, how to recover deleted files on Linux. I mean, it has a, you know everything from A to Z and everything from really beginner to uh, way out there, uh, intermediate and, and expert Linux uh, geeks. So I highly recommend you guys check it out. This one caught my eye too because I'm actually a, a big fan of Conky just because um, I kind of like the uh, fact that on uh, some of the uh, Linux distributions you have the uh, uptime and downtime uh, clock there which is always cool so you can see how long your system has not crashed and you know, systems don't crash, so it goes on for a long time, and you can impress your friends. Look, my system's been up for weeks. Anyhow, um, so because I'm a big fan, I kind of saw this. So yeah, like Russ was saying, Conky is a lightweight uh, monitoring cool tool. Sorry, combined uh, on the desktop, and uh, with this website, it's uh, basically a tutorial that'll teach you how to uh, configure it uh, to have it. Comp- Completely uh, personalized, uh, however you want it. Uh, all kinds of features, uh, eye-catching smart clock, they say, uh, current t- time and date. Uh, like I said, uh, it has your up and down time uh, system upload, system download data, uh, free HDD space, free RAM, CPU utilization. I mean, it has a little bit of everything. And uh, you can configure it the way you want. So it has uh, tutorials on how to do it for uh, Debian, uh, to and Linux Mint. Uh, has another tutorial uh, for the uh, Fedora users, and a third one for CentOS and RHEL. So I have not tried this yet. I was planning on it, but uh, because I only found this today, I didn't have a whole lot of time to uh, play around with it. But I was uh, most excited, and uh, I'm certainly going to uh, be uh, trying it. Uh, you know, Crunchbang, one of the... Uh, um, distributions that we talk about regularly and one that I've used uh, on and off quite a bit uh, has a good use of Conky that's embedded right there. You don't have to do anything with it. I mean, you can configure it if you want, uh, but uh, it just kind of comes up with uh, some of your information right on the screen. and That always kind of caught my eye, so I'm, I'm going to give this a shot and see uh, how easy it is for a, for a noob like me and see if I can get something done with this. This was interesting to me because I, I'm going to check this out I got sort of interested in Conky when I was looking at CrunchBang, saw that it did some really cool things because it sort of comes enabled in CrunchBang, and I found some cool templates that made Conky look very integrated with a Linux Mint desktop. It was organized in the sort of top-right fashion with lots of uh, circles and and sort of rounded corners and and very, like, flush and and very nice-looking with my with my mint desktop and green to fit with the general theme and i sort of learned how everything was structured by going into the template and reading the configuration syntax and then trying to sort of reverse engineer it but that's not exactly the best way maybe or maybe it is, maybe it is the best way but it's certainly not the easiest way to learn how something is done so I am going to check this out because uh, until you mentioned it, I had not heard of this thing. And I kind of gave up on Conky because it is a little bit complex to set up. So maybe this will bring me back into the fold. And and maybe for those who have thought Conky is a cool thing but didn't really know what to do with it, it will help them out as well. Now it's out there. Of course, the link that uh, was mentioned that we have will be in the show notes. And uh, if you're interested in Conky, 
go ahead and check that out. If you don't know what Conky is, just go to our website and do a search for Conky because we've talked about it before. We talked about you know all about what it what it is, what it does, uh, how to install it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, between between our podcast and and this link, you have all the resources you need to use Conky. Yeah, very good. Um, on the website specifically, on, on this website, uh, they tested it on uh, Ubuntu 12.04 LTS. Ubuntu. So, um, you know, basically Ubuntu is a Debian release uh, and very similar to uh, Mint. So um should be no problem for most users, I would think. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out, too. I think it's also a very cool thing. And I'll see how far I can get. It'll be interesting, to say the least. Excellent. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and with no delay for the first time ever. Yeah, you're getting better. <laughs> it's all good practice. Yes, and I think we have a guest. Do we? Uh, maybe. We do. Hey. Yay. Hey. <laughs> we have uh, a guest. Yay. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. About five years ago, a friend of ours had a boyfriend, and between the two of them, that's all they did. They sat in the back seat when we were going to any place like, what's up? What's up? You know, was, <laughs> yeah, I had those friends, too. <laughs> it's like i'll tell you what's up shut the hell up was... <laughs> yeah well you know it's right up there with uh where the beef and all those other corny uh things from tv yes yes it is but see years later it's funny we're laughing about it now that's true because it's funny now it's funny because it's true <laughs> it just wasn't funny then My... <laughs> <laughs> there you go all right. I've seen several articles and people mentioning on Google Plus and all kinds of stuff about this new Amazon drone thing. So go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, I, I actually I had not. I was just uh, surfing on um, one of the websites, one of the aggregators, and I got to eweek.com um, and basically says uh, Amazon delivery drones could uh, hike flight risks in crowded urban skies. They're not trying to grab attention with that line. No, not at all. Not at all. So, um, yeah, basically, uh, Amazon says it wants to start this as early as 2015, unmanned aerial drones delivering your uh Amazon uh, purchases uh, right to your door, not right to your door really, but they would be flying from terminal to terminal, I guess. So in, instead of FedExing it, uh, they would be flying it around with drones. So, of course, uh, the challenges being that the uh, busy blue skies out there around urban centers, uh, you know, there's more planes that you could shake a stick at nowadays. So, um, but for it to be economically feasible, they need to be flying these unmanned drones into populated areas which would be close to their you know major warehouses so and most of these warehouses you know conveniently are by the uh, major airports so operating drones near major airports is an air traffic controller's nightmare they claim so anyways uh the faa however turns around and says that they're uh, expected to complete a series of uh, tests uh, but only sometime by the end of 2017 uh, and these are tests that they'll be doing in, in uh, you know, the range of uh, civilian drones, not anything military. And if anything were to happen anyways, and they would uh, choose to go forward with this, if the FAA decided that it was feasible, uh, Congress would have to approve it anyways. And if, if our Congress is, is anything like our government, who knows how long that could take. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that we're not going to be seeing unmanned uh, aerial drones uh, from Amazon by 2015. So um, the FAA's main uh, concerns right now, they were saying, for unmanned systems are more in the realms of law enforcement and public safety anyways, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, and in the first place, if these things were to happen, they would probably be at, 
be allowed to be tested in, in rural areas, certainly not near uh, major centers. So, um, you know, you, you see a lot of these little unmanned drones. You always see the cops using them in media, uh, you know, looking for bad guys and stuff like that. But these are what's kind of quote-unquote more known as, uh, you know, professional slash hobby devices where the has to be in uh, visual contact with the drone and they stay pretty close to the ground anyways if you're looking for a bad guy you don't have to throw the thing up you know 5,000 feet in the air or anything so um, you know. um, so yeah probably uh, not right away but I just thought it was an interesting uh, interesting little thing it was it was Kind of a coincidence that uh, Amazon uh, made this announcement just this past Monday, which is a Cyber Monday. Uh, you know, Amazon.com, of course, uh, being uh, uh, shopping over the internet. So, coincidence? You know, who knows? Anyways, check it out, uh, eWeek.com. That's kind of a, a quirky, interesting little story. Maybe Cyber Monday is a new April Fool's. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, Amazon deciding that, yeah, they're going to send out drones to, you know, I can see this is all going to be well and good and people are going to love the idea of, you know, the unmanned drone delivering their Christmas packages on time with, you know, free delivery or whatever until it crashes through their living room and blows their house up or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all good until someone loses a house. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, like I said, there's no way 2015, 2017. No, I mean, I mean, they're working on on much more sophisticated navigation systems anyway. So in time, it's not impossible. But um, I don't think Amazon will be the first. No, I'm sure they wish they would be the first, but I don't see it happening. Honestly, it'll probably be Richard Branson. He'll be he'll be the one. He'll yeah, be there the, you go. He'll be the new X Prize rocket ship. That's right. So actually, he'll be dressed <laughs> as Iron Man, and he'll just be flying around delivering them himself. <laughs> that's that's almost more plausible than the actual drone. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, isn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> I like, could believe that. if somebody told me that. I go, really cool. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, I'm sure this will be in the news more as the, as time goes on. If if we hear any more about it, we'll yeah, see. that's right. Either that or this is the last you'll ever know about. Maps, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Linux Mint 16 apparently is uh, doing some improvements and working on the Cinnamon desktop, which is good as far as I'm concerned because I am no fan of Cinnamon right now. I'm a if I'm going to use Linux Mint or or any distribution really at this point, I love the Mate desktop because I'm a big fan of GNOME 2. And uh, since GNOME decided to stop developing GNOME 2, Mate is all we have if we don't want to head into the world of uh, GNOME Shell or GNOME 3. So I'm a big fan, but uh, I'm all for improving Cinnamon, uh, Cinnamon as a desktop experience. So uh, you found an article where they apparently are doing just that. Yeah, we're actually going to talk about some Linux stuff. Excellent. Um, yes, uh, Min 16 was uh, released November 30th, uh, codenamed Petra. I did not research uh, where the name came from, but um, at least just a few days ago, uh, this was uh, posted uh, again on uh, eWeek.com. Found both articles at the same place, which was very convenient for my search. And yeah, they claim that they're uh, improving the Cinnamon uh, desktop experience. Of course, like Russ just said, uh, you can still uh, choose Mate if that's what you choose. And we've talked about it in the past. And I know uh, Harrison was was of the same opinion, if I'm not mistaken. He's more of a fan of Mate than anything. Uh, and he can correct me. He can yell at me in the text box if I'm wrong. Uh, but a uh, bunch of things they're doing. Uh, let's see. Uh, among the new features, uh, they want to provide uh, new USB formatting and imaging tools. Uh, and 
be uh, easier for uh, them to uh, let us create bootable USB sticks, which uh, seems to be uh, the way of the future. It's certainly a lot easier than burning DVDs, that's for sure. They had a list of uh, 14 or 15 things. Let me run through them real quick here. Uh, Streamline set of menus and option, uh, supposedly making it more easy to, uh, to uh, navigate. Core component of the Cinnamon desktop environment is the Nemo file manager system, which enables users to easily find and manipulate folders and files, or so they claim. Then again, any of these changes, if you're not used to them, it's not going to make it easier because there's a learning curve there. So maybe that's what frustrates so many people at times too. You know, you, usually you go with what you know. But uh, improved uh, user applets uh, that make settings more accessible uh, directly from the uh, desktop interface. Uh, new sound effects options for Cinnamon uh, for different operations like opening and closing windows and stuff like that. Uh, Linux Mint's now making it easier for users to uh, format and write Linux distributions to USB. We uh, mentioned that uh, earlier. Uh, uh, Mint Backup, uh, which is an embedded uh, system for uh, backing up your system. Uh, let's see, uh, Mini Nanny Domain Blocker, so you can uh, prevent your kids from surfing that porn. Firefox is the default web browser, but you know it's been the default web browser for a while, so I'm not even sure why that's in there. Same thing with LibreOffice, that's still in there, so that's nothing new. View Images with uh, GThumb, uh, again... That's been in there before. Let me see. Let's try to find something new in here. Uh, improved software manager, they claim. Um, of course, I haven't checked out any of this. This is just from the article, so don't take my word for it. Uh, and then they talk about uh, Mate, uh, if you choose. And uh, this is, uh, let's see, Linux 3.11 kernel uh, that was uh, first uh, released by creator Linux Torvald, uh, they claim, in September. So uh, there you go. That's uh, the uh, claimed improvements to the Cinnamon desktop environment. So it seems to me that it's, you know, maybe not going to be that different, really. I'm not sure either. Based on the article, I saw that there were lots of improvements that they were working on in Mint and, uh, you know, Cinnamon being one of them. I saw that they had changed sort of the layout of the menu to make it, I guess, what they thought was a little more user-friendly and... And all that. Uh, the th- the biggest problem I ever had with Cinnamon was the configura- the configurability, as it were, of the 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 menu bar, the task bar. Not not like where you click the the start menu and get your you know your applications and stuff like that. You know, in the GNOME two environment, you have these task bars. You can have more than one of them, and you can put different things on there. You can put different applets like your sound, your notification area. Power up, power down, clocks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they're very highly configurable. All of that functionality seemed to go away in Cinnamon, and that was one of the biggest things I didn't really l- like about it. So, and I don't see anything addressed about whether that's coming back or whether they've even talked about it as features that they're going to include or somehow change in uh, the newer versions. So, I guess it remains to be seen how that turns out. I meant to look up a few other uh, critiques, but I didn't get around to it, of course, because I'm sure these people aren't the only people talking about it. So um, Harrison says that he likes uh, Mate, but also likes Cinnamon. And uh, K5WMA says that we should uh, try Ice uh, also. I've actually never uh, played around with Ice, so I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, I've I've not tried IceWM either. Uh, I know it's out there, and we're going to talk a little bit about desktop managers in the, the middle segment. We will touch on IceWM and, and some others as well, but that's not one that I'm real familiar with, and it's not one that I've really used. So, uh, But it is a lighter weight one. So for, for those people who have maybe older hardware, 
or I just want something that's a little bit more free flowing with without all using all the resources that something like GNOME or KDE use. Apparently, IceWM is something worth checking out. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's also a very we'll mention that in the next segment. It's also a very very memory. It doesn't use a lot of memory. I'm just trying to find some fancy words. I'm just going to stop that right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just not working tonight. That, I believe, is the end of our first segment, our, our introductory topics for this episode, which means we have come to music. Music. Hooray. Yeah, hooray. Okay, so um, being lazy. What's the feel going to be tonight, Russ? The feel is going to be a song. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have uh, been a little bit lazy, and I have stolen the tracks for tonight from our friend Dan Lynch over at Rat Hole Radio and also of Linux Outlaws. So rather than bothering to try and find music on my own, I just went over to Rat Hole Radio and said, hey, what did he play on his last episode? I found a couple of good tracks, and the first one of those is one called The Feel by a group called Back in Bloom. Uh, the album that this comes off of is Music for the Modern Monkey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a slam against yeah. humanity or what, but that'd be you guys. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be we. What, what's the line from, uh, Planet of the Apes? <laughs> Goddamn dirty apes. Yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, we're going to try this out. I listened to it earlier. I thought it was a great little track, completely different than the music we normally play here. So I hope you all enjoy it. Take a listen to The Feel by Back in Bloom. And if you get a chance, go find Rat Hole Radio. You can Google it. You'll find it. He plays a lot of great music over there. Creative Commons, uh, pretty much 99% of the time. And uh, great place to find uh, music that you never heard before that's well worth listening to. So thanks, Dan, for that. Thanks, Jamendo, for the, you know, the link to download this. And thanks to Back in Bloom for this track. And we'll be back in about three minutes to continue our little uh, episode with a uh, talk about desktop environment.
What'd you think of that? That was all right. A little bit of a boppy tune. It's got a bit of a beat. Perhaps not something that I would gravitate to on my own, but forced to listen to, I thought it's all right. <laughs> That's right. We twisted your arm. You must listen to it. You couldn't get up and go get a sandwich or anything. I could have. Well, <laughs> I chose not to. Okay. So anyway, back in bloom. I I just thought it was kind of neat and different, and and that's that. I guess it is different. I didn't I didn't, uh, I didn't unlike it. It was neat and different. <laughs> I didn't hate it. <laughs> God damn! <laughs> damn dirty song. All right. Well, a while back we got a message, or I got a message. I think Pete got it too from Harrison, who found this blog post about lightweight Linux desktops. This is something we've talked about in the past before, but there is a, a great blog post at l3net.wordpress.com, and of course the link to it will be in the show notes. Where a gentleman, I believe, I had a little trouble finding the the author of this because it's not real prominent on the blog post. It's uh, not actually. You're right. That's weird. Uh, or on is. the blog itself, for that matter. Uh, but anyway, he uh, he used it's anonymous. <laughs> that's right. So don't trust anything we say for the next five minutes. But anyway, he. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna use he. In, in the sort of royal he way, might be a she, but I'm guessing he, uh, used the VertEnv virtual machine environment construct under KDE to run a bunch of different desktop environments to see what kind of memory usage they exhibited. So he could find out sort of what was, you know, what were the lightweight desktops, what were the medium weight desktops, and what were the heavyweight desktops. And he gives a very well-constructed blog article here on all of the ones he tried. And there are many. It looks like over 20 here, starting with some that I've never heard of, like 9WM and i3, and going up to things that you probably have heard of, like Openbox, Windowmaker, Enlightenment, LXDE, Cinnamon, and KDE. And that, that threw me off at first because I did read this whole blog article and uh, I, I, I had no idea what he was talking about at first. And then as I'm going on, but I'm like, I'm trudging through it. And I'm like, oh, I'll figure something out eventually. And then finally, I'm like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Because at first, he's talking about all these obscure ones that no one's ever heard of. I'm glad you said that because I just kind of chalked it up to my being a noob, you know. As I looked on the list, I've actually heard of most of these. Um, I've heard of Rat Poison, DWM, Xmonad. Black box, IceWM, and basically everything that's heavier weight than that. Um, but some of these real light ones, like 9WM and WM2, those I had not heard of before. And I have not used them, so I don't know what they look like or what their feel is like. But basically, he's created a graph which shows the memory and megabytes that are used by each of these desktop environments. And what's really cool about that is you can see, like, at a glance, what the super lightweight desktops are. And, like, 9WM comes in at the lightest weight, which uses under half a megabyte of RAM, which, you know, that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's almost nothing that runs in under half a megabyte of anything these days, really. Yeah, that's pretty impressive because from, from the first one on the graph to the last one, you know, KD being the heaviest, 9WM, which I've never heard of being the lightest, it's like there's a huge difference in memory usage. Huge. Yeah, and 
the ones that have WM in them are window managers. I mean, that's what WM stands for, which means that they're basically no frills whatsoever. All they do is manage the applications that you're running in your X environment. And they probably have very limited functionality where you're able to move and resize windows. You might be able to tile windows. Uh, decoration is going to be light or non-existent. And it's basically just a super minimal environment for opening your windows so that you can see them. Uh, no pretty, no fancy, no anything like that. That's what these real lightweight ones do. But there is an advantage to that, particularly if you're using hardware that is not super new or super powerful. Because, you know, if you have an older laptop and you want to be able to run some of these X-based applications or cute apps or you know, ones that rely on WX widgets or any of those things that rely on graphical interfaces, you need an X environment, but you need something lightweight so it doesn't bog down the entire machine just trying to load up the, you know, the windows. So stuff like 9WM, WM2, DWM, and Rat Poison, which are the lightest weight ones on this list, all use one megabyte of RAM or less. You know, one megabyte of RAM, that's nothing, nothing at all. I mean, even on an older machine, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of these are pretty amazing. Uh, one thing I noticed is that there's, <laughs> I don't know where to draw the line on this list, I guess, but Mate is probably my favorite of, you know, the desktop environments that I use. And it's, it's in the middle sort of of the list, but it's still at the very bottom in terms of usage. Once you get above Mate, the, the numbers start really ramping up. According to his graph here, Mate uses about 42 megs of RAM to, to operate, which is significantly more than 9WM at less than half, but significantly less than KDE, which comes in at over 200. You know, and that's 200 megs of your system just to run the desktop environment. That's a lot. Just to make it pretty. Yeah, just to make it pretty. Now, I mean, it's clear that KDE has a lot of stuff built into it. I mean, it has compositing built in. It has 3D rendering built in. It has all kinds of, you know, heavyweight graphics manipulation type stuff built in. So you have a super, you know, pretty and uh, configurable and nice and slick and glossy type desktop experience. And that's what KDE is all about. But you pay for that in its memory utilization. There's no question about that. The thing of it is, Unity is right there with KDE at 192, and GNOME 3 right up there as well at about 155. And, of course, these are all measurements based on uh, a utility and in a virtual machine environment that... Uh, this person was using to do his benchmarking. All of the information on how he did the benchmarking is in this blog post. So if you want to know all the gory technical details about it, they're all in there and you, you can delve down into it. And he talks about all of the environments or it's a two part post from, from all of the lightweight stuff right up into the heavyweight and you know, the heavy hitters. Uh, so you can see and evaluate these based on the performance that he found and choose which one, would work best for your hardware and the environment that you're interested in. I did find this really interesting, and uh, I, I think Mate is, you know, down in the 
in the low utilization, it, it also provides a nice customizable and, and pretty interface, if you want to call it that. And I, I think I hit the sweet spot. I think Mate, uh, LXDE, and XFCE are right in the sweet spot of customizability, looks, and memory utilization. I think, I think if uh, for middle of the road, that's where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the link to this will be in the show notes. And if you want to check that out, we encourage you to do that. And hopefully you'll find the environment that, that fits you best and is right for you. Yeah, I'm looking on this guy's or girl's blog about page. Even on the about page, it doesn't say who this person is. He claims, he claims, uh, let's see, the very fact that you dig this site uh, to seek out more information makes you awesome in my book. Thanks, he says. I'm a software professional, and I usually write about programming, networking, Linux, and other technical stuff. Occasionally, I develop small projects to keep my skills brushed up. That's it. That's his about page, and there's a pretty picture of sun shining through a trees in a repetition of form pattern but it doesn't say who it is <laughs> yes it's all very smoke and mirrors <laughs> <laughs> i know it's kind of cloak and dagger you know yeah. it's like who are you uh mike in the chat room in 2ht wants to know where does cinnamon fall on the graph and um the graph ranges from 0. 0.4 to 201 and uh, megabytes, of course, which is megabytes. That's right. Megabytes of utilization and cinnamon falls at 79. So uh, that's less than half um, of the, you know, it's less than the median, I guess. And uh, that would be um, pretty reasonable, I think, as far as uh, a desktop environment. I mean, it's not one of the real super lightweight ones, but it's also not going to, you know, drag your system down like KDE or Unity does. So. Uh, pretty pretty middle of the road, sort of sort of slightly above the middle of the road, you know, above mate, um, but not not going to kill your system for sure. So yeah, I'm looking forward to actually playing around with some of these that I didn't didn't know about before and uh, seeing because I have this old T43 here that I keep using. Well, I'm actually using it right now. Uh, it's it's my uh, my chat room computer, and I'm always trying to make it a little bit more efficient. Well, there you go. So uh, try 9WM and tell us all what it's like. Something to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to do that. I'll try. 9WM might, might be a little beyond my uh, capabilities right now. But then again, maybe not. It's going to go a little higher than that, maybe. <laughs> uh, what, KDE? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I've, I've played around with Black Box before and Open Box. So I'll go a little bit before that. You know, Rat Poison or Sawfish, just because they have cool names and they're about 1 and 1.2 megs, or 1 and 2 megs, sorry. So I will tell you yeah, this. I know I, I have talked with several people about the various desktop environments that they use over the years. And two that come up that are not really high on, you know, the general public sort of awareness list that people really, really love that are both on this list are Rat Poison and Awesome. Those are both on the list. They're both um, relatively lightweight, according to this, you know, scale that he's derived here. The people who use those two in particular really, really love them. They may be worth looking at for your, you know, for what you're doing. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I wonder if he'll be seeing all the WinXP computers at Hamfest. I wonder. That was just a comment in the text box. Oh, I wasn't paying attention to the text the chat. Most so. likely. Most likely you'll be seeing all WinXP computers at the Hamfest. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And they'll probably be overpriced. Uh, of course they will. <laughs> 
but you can always dicker. I mean, that's half of the fun. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's why sometimes put the price so low just for the fun of uh, you know the back and forth. Yeah. 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 Good, good times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like ham fest. Like ham fest. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, ham fest season is over here. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty much over anywhere. Well, except for maybe like Australia. It's probably going hot down there. Yeah, there you go. Most likely. Most likely. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to talk about some software for Linux that also involves ham radio. And one of the things we don't really talk about at all on this uh, program or haven't really that I can recall is WeFax. I'm not even sure that anyone really uses WeFax anymore, but it's kind of a neat technology where you can actually get VHF broadcast data. Uh, it's analog from weather satellites. And if you have a circular, circularly polarized antenna connected to a VHF radio and some software to decode these analog transmissions, you can see some pretty cool weather maps. And there just happens to be some software for Linux that allows you to decode these things and without any real special hardware. All you need is, of course, that antenna that I mentioned. It's really hard to receive satellite transmissions in the VHF bands without a circular polarization. Um, if you just have, you know, a, a vertical or horizontal antenna, it just really doesn't work that well. It can, it can be done, but yeah, it's definitely a little bit tougher. Your, your satellite has to be coming over like almost right overhead. You can't have it too low and, but it, it can work. It's just, you'll just struggle right. more. Right. But it, I mean, it's like you're, you're shooting at something vertical, you know, that is, horizontal basically it's it's like yes you if you if all things line up if you have proper planetary alignment you you can get it to work but if you have a circular polarized antenna it just makes things a whole lot easier oh uh, yeah well just with a regular antenna you're polarized the right way you know once in a while depending on how how the set is spinning <laughs> well exactly <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, you know, in the case, if you don't have, um, I mean, if you really want to do this right, you'll have like a three axis antenna mover and stuff like that that can actually account for Doppler shift and all of that kind of thing. You know, we've talked about what's necessary to, to do anything with a satellite communication in the past. And it's, it's not the easiest of things necessary. And of course, some people do it by, you know, holding an antenna in their hands connected to an HT standing out in the backyard. You know, it's, I mean, QSOs have been I, made with satellites that way. It can be done. I've done that. I've yeah. done that. Sure. Sure. I mean, so but yeah. A lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're not saying it's, it can't be done. But see, with the software and, and the fancy, you know, step motors and stuff, you just kind of, it's, it's just, you lose the challenge. It's it's fun trying to figure out where the satellite's coming over on the map and seeing if you can point at it the right way. But anyhow, I digress. <laughs> that's right. And if you're trying to figure out where the satellites are coming from, use G-Predict. Of course, that's a cross-platform application that allows you to... Which is awesome. Yes, truly awesome. Uh, and if you happen to have one of those cool three-axis antenna rotators, it will actually interface with that and track the satellites for you, which is also very cool. Uh, so whether you're doing this manually or automatically, i.e. hard way or easy way, it can be done either way. But if you have a computer connected to one of these radios, you can use an application for Linux called WX2Image, which will take a basically an audio input. All you have to do is have a radio with a speaker out 
and plug it to your sound card input. And these are analog signals, so they're decoded right off your sound card. No special digital interfaces like signal links or rig blasters or anything like that required. All you have to do is have a sound card, uh, the software installed and running. Real simple software. You basically just fire it up, make sure your radio is pointed to uh, you know a proper signal coming off one of these satellites, and it will decode these images for you. The software is free. It's cross-platform. It runs on Mac, Windows, Linux, and BSD, which we don't talk about a lot, but you know some people run BSD, and this runs on all of them. Uh, there are packages for RPM-based distros. There are packages for DEB-based distros. Source code, of course, to run on anything. Windows installer, BSD installer, Mac installer, all that good stuff. Uh, it will decode all WeFax formats and APT formats. Uh, and APT, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, is, stands for Automatic Picture Transmission. And uh, the free version is free, of course. Uh, and, and it allows you to do... That's a good thing. That, yes, it's very good. allows you to do basic decoding of uh, the WeFax images. We'll see all the, uh, the cool satellite pictures that are taken. Uh, of the globe as they spin overhead and uh, and uh, send their data downward to the earth uh, for you to intercept. But you can also pay for it for an upgrade. The upgrade allows you to added features like uh, contrast controls, noise reduction, rotator control, uh, text, receiver control, uh, GPS data, and uh, a myriad of other things. Uh, this program, if you're if you're doing the non-free version, is actually what I would consider fairly expensive. Uh, the mid-range price is almost seventy dollars, and the professional edition is uh, almost a hundred. Uh, so it can be pretty pricey, but they do have a free option. And you know, if you're just doing basic decoding and stuff like that, um, and don't want special abilities like to be able to hook up to your GPS or to uh, do uh, picture compositing and stuff like that you can get away for for no money at all if you're into wefax or apt or have never heard of these things and want to try it out just to see what it's all about there is a linux option that's free and uh, i suggest you go ahead and give it a try it's not something that i've tried but i've been interested in it and i've been curious to see if i could get something like this to work and of course, all I have is a vertical up on the roof and um, a radio that will receive in the you know the high 130 megahertz bands, which are technically out of band for ham radio transmissions. But um, you know, radios with extended receive will be able to decode these uh, signals. So it's something I thought might interest folks. And uh, if you want to give it a try, I suggest you do so. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, they have um, rig support for a lot of the, uh, you know, most popular rigs out there. I mean, yeah, you know, FD-857, FD-897, the, uh, a lot of the ICOMs, uh, and they have a lot of the rig of the uh, rotor controller um, support for those, too, that are embedded. So uh, that's kind of uh, interesting. And, yeah, I, I like the fact that it's basically available on every platform they even uh, have experimental uh, raspberry pi versions which i thought was kind of interesting too yeah that is very cool and that might come in uh handy for someone who listens uh in a few minutes to the show yeah absolutely if you if you are interested in wefax or have never even heard of it uh, it might be worth checking out you can find the software at www.wxtoimg whiskey x-ray uh, what whiskey x-ray tango oscar india mike golf.com uh, of course that link will be in the show notes 
And for those of you who can't be bothered, well, you could just go to uh, any weather uh, website and uh, see those images online. <laughs> yeah, but where's the fun in that? What, where is the, the challenge? That? No, I, in I that? think this is pretty cool. I, I want to give this a try too. I I had no idea you could do this. So this is one of the wonderful things about uh, at the same time Linux and ham radio, or you know Mac or Windows. If you're a Mac or Windows user, it just never ends. I mean, I I've been doing this for a long time, and you keep thinking, you know, you you, you kind of figure I I know approximately every facet of ham radio, and then you know you figure out no, I I had no idea you could do that. That's really cool. Yeah, I think so, too. And I've heard people talk about it, but I've never experienced it myself. So I would like to give this a try sometime. And I would also like to give a try to something that we have mentioned in passing before, and I'm just going to mention it again because it's kind of an interesting topic, and I've always wanted to do this and just never really had the opportunity. But that is decode some slow-scan television, um, which is not really TV in any real sense, because there's no motion to it. It's basically just sending and receiving pictures, still still frame pictures, via amateur radio. And there is a Linux application for slow scan television, which we've mentioned in the past. It is QSS TV. Uh, you can find this application at users.telenet.be slash ON4QZ. That's Oscar November 4, Quebec Zulu. And, uh, of course, that link will be in the show notes, as all the links are. As far as I know, this is really the only application for slow-scan television that works under Linux um, that isn't sort of a Windows application that you run under Wine or some other you know hybrid environment. It is an actual native Linux app. Current version was released oh, quite a while ago, actually, uh, early in 2012, version 717. You basically have to build it from source. I don't see anywhere on here where you where they have it packaged for dev or RPM. I, I didn't do a lot of investigation, I have to admit. So it might be out there in somebody's, you know, uh, PPA or something like that. But it probably will require a build from source. Uh, it's a very, you know, it's a fairly simple interface. Um, the the screenshots that they're showing are it running under Ubuntu you know, which means it should run fine under Debian or, or any similar variants. Uh, it's basically almost like any other digital application, digital mode application. You get your decode window, you have an encode window, you have a few toggles, uh, signal strength meter, and basically a waterfall, which which looks more like a, an oscilloscope type thing, so you can sort of center on your, your frequencies. It gives you the ability to create templates so you can overlay information onto the images you send. You know, if you want to send a photo out there for someone to decode, you can uh, create a template wherein you put your, you know, your call sign information, your QTH, your name, all of that kind of stuff, and overlay it onto the image that you send. So when it's decoded, uh, it's decoded as an overlay on the image. You can create your own templates using uh, QSS TV. It comes with some some pre-made ones to sort of get you going, which is nice. There's a frequently asked questions, some, some just some basic documentation to get you started. It's really not that complicated an application. You know, there's uh, a picture tutorial basically with the information that you need to uh, set up QSS TV, get it running, and do your first decode of, you know, whatever images are, are out there in the atmosphere and how to, of course... Uh, set up the transmit window 
or your picture gallery so that you can actually send things for other people to receive. It's really a minimalist application. It's very uh, intuitive kind of feel to it. Uh, and it integrates nicely in, in a standard X environment, whatever window manager or desktop environment you happen to be using. It should require only minimal effort to get up and running. And if you're interested in sending pictures via HF, uh, via slow scan TV, uh, this might be worth checking out. It's definitely something I want to try. And I hope maybe by the next episode, I will have a, a success story that I can relate well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, actually. I'm, I'm watching it work. I'm uh, On this old T43, I still have HamOS running, and it's uh, included in the HamOS package, as is GPredict, by the way, and, and many other uh, useful ham radio uh, uh, applications and tools. Of course, uh, WeFact and APT weren't, weren't included in that, but uh, uh, it's kind of nice to see that QSS TV is uh, right there. So if you don't want to build it, just uh, download yourself uh, a live CD of HamOS 12.48 and uh, give it a try. That's uh, an easy way to just, if, you don't, if you're not comfortable with building and compiling stuff, uh, as, as I am not, uh, this is a quick and easy way to play around with it. And I will say that I just, you know, for grins, uh, went to my desktop install that I've got here that I'm recording on, which is uh, Debian Wheezy. Did a sudo apt-get install QSS TV, and version 7.17 is in the repos. So there you go. Excellent. So we don't have to build it after all if you don't want to. No, we don't have to. And, of course, shortly after I did that, Ted in the chat room says, um, it's in the repos. Yeah. <laughs> so, See, uh, I'm looking at QSS TV, so I, I'm not looking at the, at the chat room. Apologies. Yeah, I wasn't either until after I did it. And then, you know, of course, the information was handed to us, as it usually is. So anyway, um, if you have a Debian, a Debian based distribution or one that has a lot of ham radio software in it, which application, which de uh, distributions like Fedora are supposed to, then you can probably just do a yum install QSS TV or an app get install QSS TV and uh, not have to build it from source, which makes things, you know, worlds easier. So no excuses anymore. Go give it a try. And uh, after you give it a try, go ahead and tell us. Let us know what success you had with QSS TV. Sorry, I was muted again. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've actually been curious about this. I really have no interest in, in sending, although I've never tried it, so I don't know. But I'd just be curious to see what kind of pictures people are, are uh, sending. And, and uh, it's, just, it's one of those neat little things bring you back, you know? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to try it. I mean, I've tried all kinds of stuff and not this. So I'm, I really want to try and see what it's like. And of course, I, I fired it up on my computer here just so I could see what the interface was like. And since it's basically just a sound card decode, it's now decoding what I'm saying. <laughs> of course, yeah, I, I saw that too. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not really generating anything, but I can go, oh, look, uh, all, this all the oscilloscope stuff is flashing and I'm getting like this wavy black and white grid. <laughs> so my voice is being decoded as some kind of weird white noise. So you know it works. Yes, I do know it works. It would be nice to actually have it decode like a real picture. All in good time. <laughs> That's right. If you could talk in pictures, then you'd... That, that would be kind of cool, yeah. We will sell no wine before it's time. A whale. <laughs> like a whale? <laughs> what kind of drugs are you on, man? Talk, talking like a whale, you know? Like whales. Figured if, if you were going to sound like you were talking like you're talking in pictures, you would sound like a whale. That's just what I think. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like a nice frequency. You've heard whales. Yes, you know? I have, yeah. Yep. 
There you go. No uh, drugs. So it would be a picture of like schools of Marlin, right? <laughs> Maybe. Or no, krill. It would be krill, right? Krill, Especially yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. <laughs> oh, what a great movie. Okay, I think we're done with this segment and we probably need to move on and play some more music. Uh, which Yes, which again I have stolen from Rat Hole Radio. Thank you again, Dan, for uh providing me with music so that I can be lazy. Uh, yeah, I listen to Rat Hole Radio. It's actually an, an interesting show. It it goes. It's all over the place. He plays stuff that I love, and he plays stuff that I can't stand. But I keep listening to it anyways because yeah, that's generally there's some good selections, and you discover a lot of things that you might not listen to otherwise. So yeah, thanks, Dan, for that. Yeah, I, I feel kind of the same way about it. In fact, the episode that these two tracks came from that I chose, the rest of the tracks I would never play on the show because I couldn't stand any of them. But, you know, there's always a diamond in the rough, I guess. So this particular one is called Love This Place by Derek Clegg. Uh, the album is interesting. It's called Here Comes Your Fate, Quick Duck, which I have no idea what that's all about. Anyway, this one doesn't come from Jamendo. I actually downloaded it from archive.org, the Internet Archive. So I'm not sure if it's in the public domain or what. But anyway, if you want to, you know find out what the license is uh you're welcome to do that but clearly it's um you know creative commons or something and if i really cared i would go look but i don't so anyway uh let's go ahead and listen to love this place by Derek clegg and uh, we'll come back with our feedback announcements and uh, social media roundup
to get it straight It's pushing me to a point that I can't relate But help's not what I need Gotta figure out what life is going to work for me But don't you get me down Love This Place by Derek Clegg. I actually like a good little bit of folksy music, and the, the bridges in there were kind of nice. So I like that one a lot, actually. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed that one. It was very upbeat. Yes, upbeat in a mellow, folky kind of way. Yeah, mellowish. Mellowish. Not depressing like your head off mellow. <laughs> exactly. By the way, uh, WA0EIR in the uh, text box, thank you very much, uh, mentions that the uh, slow scan uh, frequency 14.230 is the uh, slow scan uh, signals frequency if you guys are interested. 14230. There you go. 20 meter. Yep. I would assume that there are probably standard frequencies on the other bands too, but... um... Maybe, but it's, it's probably like... You know, some of the digital modes, you have standard frequencies on every band, but only one seems to be really, really active, you know? Right, right. Of course, it kind of depends on the ones you can hear, too, because, you know... Yes. (laughs) So... Well, 20 is kind of open all the time. It's just one of those really all-around good bands, I find. You can always talk to someone on 20, it seems, no matter what the other ones are doing. You know, some of the other ones can be up and down a lot. 20 seems to be pretty stable. Yeah, that's very true. So maybe that's why. Because yeah. it's the same thing for uh, uh, RT, not RTTY, but um, PSK is the same thing. For 20 meters is where the most activity is, 14.070. Well, it's kind of interesting because I do most of my PSK work on 40. So. Is it really? Yeah, I really do. So that would be on 7070? Uh, yes, 7070. I'm guessing. Yep. Interesting, because I never hear anything on 40 meter. Because I'm, I'm a huge fan of 40 meters when it comes to box to of voice. But I don't know, on, on digital, I seem to just gravitate to 20, just where I seem to have the most results. But I don't know, maybe it's just because where I live, I have no idea. I'm, I'm close to a big city, too, so I propagation is always, it's not propagation so much. It's just there's a lot of noise around here, no, no matter when. Cause I, there's a huge difference when I leave the city and I have my little portable HF rig that I bring with me and all of a sudden I'm like you know I'm thinking something's not working because it's so quiet it's like no it's just because I'm away from the city it's ridiculous are you muted 
No, I'm not muted. I'm actually paying attention <laughs> to the chat room where we got some more information from Ted about where you can find uh, information on uh, slow scan TV frequencies, which is www.hamuniverse.com stroke sstv.html. And of course, I've put that in the etherpad, so it will show up in the show notes where all good things should be. Yeah, hamuniverse.com is a good uh, source of uh, ham radio information. Just all, all kinds of stuff from SSTV to well, pretty much anything you could think about. Yep, excellent. That's why it's the ham universe, because it encompasses everything. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, it says these are the most popular frequencies used. So there's uh, 3845, Oh, maybe, maybe not. So we're going to move into feedback. But before we move into feedback, I found out just before the show started from Paul, KE5WMA, that uh, we got a shout out from Jerry Taylor over at the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. He mentioned us uh, in depth, actually, on the latest episode of PARP, P-A-R-P, episode number 64. So I would like to personally thank Jerry for... uh, Getting the word out there, he said, we are a good resource for uh, getting people who uh, are for helping people who want to switch over from Windows to Linux, which I like to think we are. And to have someone else confirm it is pretty cool. So thanks, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry's very well respected in the radio community. He's been doing his podcast for a little over five years now. Um, his his information, I mean, is is right on the ball. You know, it's up to date, and and he'll he'll research his stuff. And so when he says something, you can really count on the information. And I mean, he has made mistakes, and he'll he'll let you know in, in the next podcast. Very few, mind you. But uh, also a shout out to Paul K five WMA, who is uh, going to be uh, I guess a guest host or or a co host of of the show. Uh, starting, uh, I don't know, soon, I guess, or right now. Uh, we heard a little bit of him uh, just before, for those of you who had the opportunity to uh, be there live. So uh, uh, way to go. So we uh, have a star in our midst. That's right. Midst. We, are, we are amongst greatness. Amongst, yeah, absolutely. Very <laughs> cool. So, and I like the cross-pollination, too, between the podcast. I mean, podcasting is a small community anyways, and we all know of each other, if not each other. I mean, all of us have, you know, pretty much emailed each other at one point or another so um yeah it's, it's kind of neat yeah it's very true and i'm uh you know woefully behind on on podcast listening i'm trying to catch up i really am but uh i'll get there eventually so there you go and uh Simbola asks if we'd be willing to let other people write materials for uh, lhs and yes we absolutely are there is an article section on the lhspodcast.info site that is open to anyone who would like to contribute written articles uh we would love to publish them and if you have anything you want to contribute we are definitely welcome or we are definitely open to that yeah and you know get some uh, good uh, guests out of that too yes absolutely interesting guests for sure mm-hmm. more interesting than us that's for sure uh you know maybe a little bit <laughs> Uh, so moving on, we had the, or I had the germ of an idea last episode and I said there might be a contest and guess what? There's a contest and I'm going to be giving away a raspberry Pi, a brand new one. And, uh, yep. 
So uh, basically, I sent out an email to all those who are on the mailing list uh, because those are the only people I can send an email to. So if you're not on the mailing list, sign up for the mailing list. We'll give you the details on that here in a few minutes at the end of the show. Uh, but basically what it's going to be is sort of like the last one. If you're already a paid subscriber to Linux in the ham shack, you are already entered to win a raspberry Pi. If you are not a paid member, you can become a paid member at any time before the contest ends, which will be on January 31st, 2014. Uh, if you become a paid subscriber monthly or yearly before that date, you will be automatically entered to win this Raspberry Pi. If you don't want to pay any money to win this Raspberry Pi, you don't have to. All you have to do is call us on our voice line, one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine, and leave us a voicemail wherein you complete the following phrase. My new Raspberry Pi will be used to, and go ahead and complete that thought. Brush my teeth. See, that's a good one. <laughs> and that's all you have to do. You can be as silly or as serious as you want to be. It doesn't really matter because it's going to be a random draw when it's all over. Uh, but we got to get our entries some way. So you can enter that way. And there's a third way you can enter. And that is you can render artistically in some way a Raspberry Pi, whether it be the computer, an actual Raspberry Pi, like the kind you might eat, or some other interpretation of the phrase Raspberry Pi that we haven't yet thought of. <laughs> oh, you're leaving that one open. For I, I am trying to make it as open as possible. You can also choose yeah. the medium. You can uh, make it a poem, you know, a haiku or something like that. You can make a sketch. Uh, an epic. A what? An epic. Yeah, you can do an epic poem, or I, I have no idea. Uh, but if you are feeling saucy and creative, you can do something along those lines. A musical? Uh, a musical would be fantastic. Absolutely. That would be that would be great. Uh, even if it's only like a six-line musical, it would still be awesome. <laughs> a shorts musical. There you go. There's <laughs> another idea for a festival for your T-types, a shorts music festival. You know, they have short film festivals. Right. So, yeah, if you want to create a video short or a poem or do some beat poetry or beat boxing or write a song <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is, if you want to somehow artistically render your idea of a Raspberry Pi, get it to us somehow. Uh, make sure with all of these entries, by the way, that you let us know how to get in contact with you should you, in fact, win the contest so we uh, can send this thing out to you. Uh, if, if you do the artistic method, you will actually get two entries. You'll be entered twice, so you'll have two times the Very possibility good. of winning. Artistic merit. That's right. Uh, so I would encourage everyone to do that. What you will get, if you should win, is a brand new Raspberry Pi, never taken out of the shrink wrap. Uh, you will also receive with that a USB power cord that can be used from a USB port or from a wall outlet. And you will also get an HDMI to DVI converter so that if you don't have an HDMI capable monitor, you can plug it into a standard monitor as well. The only thing I'm not going to provide for you is a micro SD card, or I'm sorry, not a micro SD card, but an SD card to actually boot the thing up with. So you'll have to provide one of those yourself. Uh, but they are fairly cheap, and you know you can choose your operating system and so on and so forth. But you pretty much get everything you need to have a fully functioning Raspberry Pi to do with either what you said you were going to do with it or something completely different. So there is that. Excellent. Good contest. And uh, we already have an entry. 
Well, we should have more than one. Well, we should have more than one. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about we have <laughs> we have lots of people who are already paid subscribers of the show who are automatically entered. There are many of those. Uh, but we've already had someone call in with a voicemail to enter as well. All right. And when do we do we have to wait until 2014 to hear that? I don't know if I'm going to do them like as time goes on or not. Uh, I'm not going to do it tonight because I don't have it queued up. But I'll, I'll probably do a few of them just to keep things interesting. But know that people are already entering this contest. So if you want to get in on it, you better get in on it soon. Oh, yeah. It's a world-renowned contest. I mean, come on. That's right. Because we are worldwide. We are heard in places like New Zealand, Australia, Japan. Even uh, Canada. Even Canada. That's right. <laughs> and parts of Wyoming. so that's enough about that well i do hope everybody enters i'd love to have a great contest like the last one and uh i haven't heard of jonathan from jonathan since he got his uh beagle bone but maybe we need to get in contact with him and see what he's doing with it yeah it'd be interesting well he's too busy playing with his beagle bone to uh to get back to us perhaps but yeah i would be curious to see because if anybody's going to do anything remotely interesting uh, i think it would be him something that would be you know way out there that probably we wouldn't think of yeah perhaps so but we probably should talk to him at some point maybe he's listening and he'll uh, send some feedback that would be cool all right so we have some voice feedback cool huh cool yeah somebody left us a voicemail like four weeks ago and i forgot about it <laughs> Uh, he sent me a message on Google Plus going, uh, oh, so the audio quality on my feedback must have been really bad because you didn't play it on the last episode. And I was like, oh, no, I'm just stupid and I forgot. <laughs> was there a, digressing again, but was there a problem with the website recently? Because I, uh, There was. Yep, there was. I got, got a note, I can't remember if it was on Facebook that I saw a note on the LHS uh, podcast facebook page somebody mentioned that there was and then i emailed you and it bounced back so i'm I'm assuming it was resolved relatively quickly uh it was resolved as soon as i knew about it we had a power outage at work which is not supposed to happen but it happened anyway all of my machines you know and i have like 12 machines and they all went down and basically took out everything until i got them all back up so in Canada, they had they use these things called UPSs, which are really, really convenient in these cases. Well, see, here's the thing. We have UPSs. We have a really big UPS. We have a 20 kVA UPS. Oh, That's, cool. I want one of those in my backyard. It powers and it powers the entire server room when the power goes off. It can actually... And what happened? And what happened was it, it has enough battery power to provide 100, and, 100 amps of power for 12 minutes this is this is a big uninterruptible power supply okay this thing is a monster so what it's there for is to bridge the gap when commercial power goes offline and the propane power generator kicks on which usually happens inside of about 60 seconds Mm -hmm. the problem is the generator didn't come on (laughs) okay you didn't pay your gas bills or what (laughs) no it just decided it didn't feel like firing up like one of these cases where it's just been sitting there for so long and was it well, maintained it gets, or just a glitch? Didn't know it, why? Apparently it glitched because it gets it gets run by test cutover once a week. Yeah, I would think. I mean, you know, I figure if an outfit, you know, has a little bit of respect for itself, it maintains its backup uh, systems. Right. So we do. And uh, the last cutover um, was two days before the outage and it went fine. And then when there was an actual power outage, the generator decided not to come on. So, <laughs> eh. 
So Technology, all of our infra- yeah, it's not all, perfect. All of our infrastructure was for naught. But anyway, we're back to normal now. Everything is up, humming again until the next power outage. So yeah. well, maybe it'll work better next time. Well, you can hope. <laughs> I was, no, I was just curious. I thought some of our listeners might be interested too, because I'm sure some of them might have noticed as well. Well, they probably did. But I'm and I'm sorry about the outage. But I got it back as fast as I could. So thanks. Yeah, no one uh, died, so it's all good. Thanks to uh, Ben for letting me know that there was a problem and uh, that helped me, you know, figure out what I needed to do and get things up as quickly as I could. Uh, With that, I'm going to play Doug's voicemail. Doug is uh, N6LMX. He's a longtime listener of the show. He left us some voice uh, feedback about episode uh, 115. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. Hello, Russ and Pete. Uh, This is Doug, November 6th, Lima Mike X-Ray. As you could probably tell, I'm driving in my car. Just finished listening to your interview with uh, the two fellows from OSWR. That's awful. I've already forgotten their name. My problem, not yours. Anyway, I just wanted to say what a very interesting interview it was. It was really great having them on the show. I actually learned some stuff. I actually went ahead and added their podcast to my podcatcher. Although, of course, all I'm getting is the last episode from May, and I do know why they're not beating more right now, and I know that they will be doing more in the future, but hey, might as well start somewhere. Again, thank you for a very, very entertaining and interesting show. Um, I've got some more stuff I need to check out now. 7-3. All right, there you go. That's the voicemail from Doug at N6LMX. Dude, from California. Very good. I'm happy to hear that. Yep, we're really glad that the the show is providing some decent information, and we did have a lot of fun talking to uh, Rich and Brady. That was that was a great episode. So if you haven't listened to episode one fifteen, uh, subtitled "A Mile High and Loving It," yeah, you should go check that one out. Yeah, and they're, they're really good guys too, and they deserve a like like Doug said, the last podcast was posted in May, so they're certainly not regular, uh, you know, and they're, they're a busy family, and they do what they can, and they do what they can. They get them, get them out as they can, uh, but you know they have like four or five children and very busy lives, so it could be a struggle. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a very entertaining one, and uh, it's one that I recommend. Absolutely, you should definitely check it out. And they said they will be getting back into it at some point here, not too distant in the future. And uh, we're all looking forward to episodes as they come out. And with that, I'm going to go see, since uh, Cheryl had some issues earlier, we're going to find out if she's still here so she can do our social media roundup for us. Yes, I'm still here. All right, excellent. Hooray! Hooray! So now that you're here, you can can make us shut up for a few minutes and... Do our uh, our donations and subscriptions and our uh, social media roundup. And I've noticed over the past couple of episodes since I did my little flight of the bumblebee over on Twitter and Facebook to try and drum up some interest in our show that we've been getting some regular subscriptions across all the the various social yeah, media that's sites. Excellent, that's cool. So that is very cool, and we're going to find out who's um, who's following us now. Cheryl's going to tell us. Who would have us. known social media does work? I know. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's, it's, it must be the next big thing. <laughs> it must be. God, we're so five years ago. <laughs> All right. So who's, who's giving us some donations this year or this month, rather? All right. Well, for this week, um, in the donations and subscriptions category, we have Ben S., who subscribed for a yearly subscription. And we have Steve C., who did monthly. 
On our social media roundup for Facebook, Tom R. and Robert B. joined us. On Google+, it was Ben S. On Twitter, it was Dick, W4RNO, Jacob, KD0SJV, Jim, KE4INM, uh, at RF Transmitters, and Vitality, which is UR6LAD. And on the mailing list, we had Chuck, which is VE3VSA, Gary, K6L, Robert, AC8GE, Sid, W8SFC, and Todd, K7HPY, that joined us. All right, and there was a dropout there for Gary, whose call sign was K6PDL. I'm not sure if it's my network or your network, but uh, we didn't hear that whole call sign. So we want to make sure that Gary knows who he is, K6PDL. And shout out to Chuck, fellow Canuck. Hi, Chuck the Canuck. <laughs> I guess you're allowed to say that, right? If you're if you're of the ethnic or you know community group, then you're allowed, right? The ethnic, yes, I'm, I'm of the ethnic group of Canadians. Can, the Canadian. I'm an ethnic Canadian. You're from Canada. Canada. <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right, excellent. All right. Well, I think that's about it. We don't have any more feedback for the show. We've rambled about as long as we can. So I think we should probably go ahead and wrap this up. So, um, Cheryl, you want to do the outro stuff as well? Sure. I can do that. All right. Excellent. So we'll let you do the outro and then Pete can say his little piece and then I'll say my little piece and then we'll come back in a couple of weeks for another episode. Sound good to everybody? Yep. Yep. All right. Sounds good. So, have at it. Oh, before right. we have at it, hold on. Oh, before, uh oh. I, I just wanted to mention that next episode uh, is in 14 days, so that would be the 17th. And then the following episode uh, falls on December 31st, so I'm just wondering what we're going to do for that episode. Well, oh, if we'll be on oh, vacation. What will we right. do? If Pete were paying attention to the website, which he clearly is not, he would know that there is a break and that we will oh. not be recording until the week after that. <laughs> <laughs> the website was down the day I checked, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh very good. Nice catch. Nice catch. Shame on me. <laughs> yeah, we will be taking a, a sort of a short hiatus. We will not be recording over or between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, the first episode for uh, 2000 and, well, yeah, we would we would normally be recording on on December, what is it? December 31st, which we will not, we will actually record on January 7th. Uh, so there will be a sort of break between December 17th and January 7th. We'll give everybody a rest. Okay. Are you muted? <laughs> I was, but I didn't have any way. Oh, okay. <laughs> figured that's enough for me for one episode. <laughs> All right. Then with that, we're going to start the outro and we will catch everybody in a little while. Outro. Outro. <laughs> that's that's your cue. Do the outro. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, I know. I'm just following in the footsteps of the great Linux uh, and the Hamshack podcasters. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Learn from the best or from the worst, whichever it might be. Whichever. The, yes. the worst. Or the worst. <laughs> All right. Let's let's get this done. So, so for my grand outro. 
I would like to ask everybody to please check out the website at http slash slash lhspodcast.info. You can become an ambassador. Visit our website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby Linux Con or Hamfest. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info or leave a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. For those of you that don't want to pay attention to the uh, letters on your keypad, that's 547-7469-1-909-547-7469. All hate mail is routed to Harrison at hatemail at lhspodcast.info. Please subscribe to our mailing list. A link is located on the website. Go to Cafe Press and Perfection and buy some of our merchandise. Each purchase helps out the show. You can also go to the show... Oh, excuse me. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column on the homepage. Our Cafe Press webpage is at cafepress.com slash lhspodcast. In Perfection, you can find us at perfection.com slash lhspodcast. You can listen live every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Time or Wednesday at 0200. Our recording schedule and countdown timer on the next episode is on the website. Thank you to all of our listeners live and quasi-live. All right. Very good. So you have anything else to say before we let Pete sort of wrap it up? (laughs) No, I'm done. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Cheryl, for doing our outro and our social media roundup as always. And I'll let Pete go ahead and say his little bit before we move on. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for being here. Uh, seven threes. My name is Pete Victor Echo Two X Ray Papa Lima. You're in the uh, wonderful metropolis of Montreal. Uh, snowing tonight a little bit. Looking very Christmassy. You can find me on Google Plus, uh, on Twitter at xpete underscore l, and on Facebook. And we'll talk to y'all in a couple of weeks. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks everybody who joined us in the chat room and for the live broadcast tonight. It is always great fun and uh, good to hear from everybody, and we hope you'll get a chance to join us on a future episode. My name is Russ, call sign K5TUX. You can find me on all the social media networks out there as J.R. Woodman. I'm also K5TUX at 73s.org. And uh, I think that's about it for episode 119 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks, everybody, for participating, being a subscriber, and... uh, Joining us in all of our endeavors, I will say goodbye from between the peaks in the pine forests of north central Arkansas. From all of us here at Linux in the Ham Shack, hope you have happy holidays. We'll catch you in two weeks before the break. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Happy Hanukkah, y'all. Play with that lizard, you're going to go blind.